I'll be reading from Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of, the, of Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was asked to preach, oh, about three months ago. Um, and I got thinking about what I wanted to preach on. Um, and I thought that I would think about God's spirit and how he works in us and through us for the sake of the body. And then I got sick and I wasn't able to preach. So then I was scheduled to preach last week, but then Aaron got inspiration for a different sermon. So... I'm here now, so hopefully this is not three strikes and you're out, but um, is um, third time is the charm. <laughs> but as I started thinking about, you know, how God works in us and through us for the sake of the body and the world around us, I thought, well, where do I start? I could preach from Genesis, right? He creates each of us, each one of us, in his image. There's a whole lot of things that we could think about, about God's image in us and what that means, and then the fall and how that messes up that image. But also, how in Christ we're given a new identity, a new person, and how we live out of that. Certainly we could go to the New Testament, right, to, to Jesus. He gives us a call to go and make disciples of all people. What does that look like? How do we do that? I can certainly go to Acts as the Spirit falls and see what happens to, to the new church what they do and where they go. Over to the classic passages on gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians. As I was processing that, deciding, well, where do I go? Tim just came up to preach, and he preached on the first couple verses that we just read in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. He talked about the unity that we have in the Spirit. And that got me reading the beginning of Ephesians and got me excited about looking a little more deeply at those first couple of verses in Ephesians, because it also talks about gifts there. And it talks about them a little differently in some ways than some of the other passages. And so I decided that we would start there. We might look around at a few of the other passages before we're done, 
But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to follow along in the Bible at all, I'm just going to kind of walk us through Ephesians 4. It starts off by urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. If you're in Christ, you have a call, and you're supposed to walk worthy of it. What does that mean? Well, he goes on to say, You've been called in all humility, gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He talks about attitudes in us that are essential for unity. Now, I'd encourage you, if you didn't hear Tim's sermon, go back to our website and look on March 13th and listen to that or to our YouTube page. I'm not going to rehearse everything he said. But what's it start with? It starts with unity. It starts first with our part of the unity, but now it goes on and it says this. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to the, your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, what's, if you're going to do Bible study, what's the first thing you look for? One of the first things you look for is repeated words. What's repeated in here? Well, there's one. <laughs> there's only one. One God, one Lord. Actually, we get the Spirit, the Son, and the Father all in here. Interesting, different order than we get them other places, but... The other thing that's interesting about this list, though, is actually where does it start? It starts with, there is one body. And it uses a lot of body language in here. There's one hope and calling for us. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one Father over all of us. What's Ephesians getting at? It is getting at the fact that we all serve the same God. But he wants to remind us we are all one body. We are all part of each other. This is all one thing. Whether we're sitting in this room or watching online or whether we're overseas somewhere, whether we are past or present or future in Christ, we are one body. And then the next verse. Ephesians likes this. He does this in a couple different chapters. He uses this this approach. His next word is the word, but, grace. But grace was given to each one of us. But grace. That should surprise us, right? But should kind of surprise us. We're going in a different direction. We're all one. What does that look like? Does that mean we are, you know, an assimilated collective that is all the same and it's all part of one? Well, no. What What's he say? Yes, you are under one God and one body, But God came and gave different grace to every single person in that body. Somehow we are both one united body, but also diverse people that God has given something different to every one of us. What has he given? He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So something of God's grace was given us because he looked at Mark and he said, here's who he is and here's what, what I'd like to do in him. He's a pretty good guy. I'm going to give him this much of my grace. Is that what it says? No. By the measure of Christ's grace. Who he is. Who Christ is. He's come and given grace to all of us freely. His choice according to the measure of his grace. Isn't that great? What he gives to us, these gifts he's going to talk about in a moment, is not because of who you and I are or what we've done or... We don't have to do something to keep them. He just says, 
I'm going to give a piece of my grace to every person that's a part of my body. Now, what that is, we'll look at in a moment. But we want to get first that sense. There's one God, one body, but every single one of us has been given something of the grace of God according to the measure of Christ. He goes on to give us a great picture of every of, of this. These next couple of verses are often kind of confusing verses, but I think they, they're meant to give us a wonderful picture of what God is doing. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Indeed, by saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. What's all this about? Well, the first part, the ascended on high, that's a quote. It's a quote from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 starts with this. God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. And actually the whole psalm is a victory psalm. It's a picture of God coming as king and conquering and riding up to the top of Mount Zion and collecting his people who were in captive and freeing them from captivity. And what happens in the Psalms is the people, as they're freed from captivity, they lay their gifts before the king and they worship and praise him. Paul now takes that same picture and applies it to Christ. What did Christ do? He descended, came to the earth. He also died on a cross, died for our sin. And then what did he do? He rose, conquering sin and death, and ascended on high and is seated at the right hand of God. Same kind of picture as the victory psalm of Psalm 68, except the last phrase. Paul doesn't quote it the way Psalms quotes it. Christ flips it on his head. Psalm says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts from men. What does Paul say? When he ascended on high, led the host of captives with him, he gave gifts to men. What does Christ do as we ascend, as we're freed and ascend with him on the mountain? He gives us all a gift. As we're sitting there worshiping the victorious king, we all get a gift. And Ephesians is one of several places that talks about what he gives. He says this. He says, then he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, shepherds and teachers is the version that was read earlier, to equip the saints for the works of ministry. What did he give? Well, we often think of gifts as abilities, but actually in this particular passage, he actually gives people to the church, right? People that are apostles, people that are evangelists, people that are shepherding, people that are teaching. What's he say? The larger body, this one body of my people, it needs some apostles to lead it. It needs some evangelists to go out and tell others. It needs some shepherds. It needs some teachers. And so he gives those to his body as a gift. So that's not the only gifts that he gives. If we turn over to Romans, um, I'm just not going to read all of these passages, but there are two main passages that also talk about gifts. Um, Romans 12 being one of those. In verse 4 he says, For as in one body, so Romans has the same concept, there's one body, 
but we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function in the body. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to what? The grace given to them. So let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in serving others, in the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhorting, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Interesting, this list adds a bunch of things to it, right? Some of the things God gives to his church are people of mercy, people of generosity, people of faith, people of service. All of these gifts help this one church, this one body. If we flip over the other main passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Actually, that entire chapter talks of spiritual gifts. It starts out, this, this part of his letter, now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers, do, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but one spirit. There are, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them. Again, same, but different, each person. To each one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith. And he goes on with a whole list of things, prophecy and tongues and other things are all listed here. Again, a different list, right? Different things, but God is still giving gifts to people. All of these are empowered in verse 11 by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills it. He'll go on again at the very end of the chapter. You're one body in Christ, but individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of helping and healing and administrating and various kinds of tongues and prophecy. Again, similar things to the first part, but he adds administrating in there. Um, things that we don't often think of as gifts. We often think of miraculous things. But God enables somebody to administrate for his church. What's interesting, um, I picked up a book a couple years ago. It was very helpful in my thinking. It thought a little differently about some of these gifts that we often talk about. Um, Kenneth Birding in What are the Spiritual Gifts? Rethinking the Conventional View. He would argue that we often think of gifts mostly as abilities that the Spirit kind of enables within us. I have certain abilities and God enables them and sends me out. He would actually argue that the passages, particularly Ephesians 4 and the end of 1 Corinthians, argue more for a calling to a particular ministry that God enables and gives the Spirit to help. That each of us has callings to minister in different ways, and as we do, God enables that. And some of them are areas we have strengths in. Sometimes he actually calls us in a ministry that we don't have strengths in. Paul talks about him ministering a weakness at places, but being filled by the Spirit and enabled to minister in those areas. Uh, so it's just helpful in thinking. It's not just a matter of, you know, can I take a gift inventory, figure out the three things that I'm good at, and do those, but a matter of seeking God and asking where is he plugging me in in the larger church? What ministries am I a part of? Is also a way of thinking about gifts. But either way, what's common in all the passages? Christ is the giver, right? He gives them. He gives them freely. 
every person has them. So if you're sitting here or listening online and you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you, and he's given you gifts. There are a variety of gifts. I don't have them all. I need you. You don't have them all. You need each other. The gifts are not just simply something I'm good at, right? The Spirit enables you. The Spirit helps you. The Spirit is the one who is giving and empowering. And then we are to use those gifts. And Ephesians will go on to talk about the use of those gifts. Again, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers for what purpose? To equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body. My job, you know, I've been hired because I have some gifts of teaching and I'm a pastor and can stand up here. But my job isn't just to teach, is it? Say wonderful things, show you wonderful things. It's to make sure you're each equipped because you each have ministry to do. Interesting. Something struck me years ago that I saw lived out. Evangelist is in this list. Evangelist. What do we think of as evangelist? Well, sometimes we think of the person who just, you know, at every coffee shop can just start a conversation on the gospel. Sometimes we think of the big evangelist, you know, Billy Graham, who can grab 40,000 people in a stadium, get up and preach the gospel and have a thousand of them, a couple thousand of them come down on the field and say, I'll accept Christ. I worked for Billy Graham at one point when he was in Philadelphia. And a very interesting piece to his ministry. He didn't see his ministry just as gathering the stadium and speaking. He saw his ministry as equipping the saints. One of the things that was a priority was the Christian Life and Witness class. They set up classes in 20-some churches. I know because I'm the one who drove around and dropped off the materials at every one of those churches. But they had three, 4,000 Christians go through this class. Actually, in some places, three or 4,000, totally 20 to 30,000 Christians, where for four weeks they had some of their key evangelists come to Philadelphia and teach people how to live for Christ and how to be a witness and talk to their neighbors and their friends and the people in their workplace. Yes, he's an evangelist. He can gather lots of people and evangelize, and he should. That's his gift. You know, if you can gather 40,000 people and preach the gospel to them, do it. But he also saw his use of his gift as equipping the people in the church to do ministry. One of the things we did was we had 14,000 churches on our mailing list in the Philadelphia area, and we sent them all a pack of cards for every person in the church to write down five people they would pray for for the two months before the crusade that they would talk to at some point and invite and then share the gospel with. Again, what's the goal? Every member equipped to do the larger things God's called us to. So whether you're an apostle, evangelist, or whether you're in some of the other lists, whether you're somebody gifted in serving and mercy, what's the challenge? A, go use your gift. Go use it for the service that you're called to, but also use it to equip others, to help others. I mean, we're all called to be merciful, right? But some people we see, they just naturally go out and, you know, they're involved in 16 mercy things. Well, maybe they can help me become a little more merciful. (laughs) Maybe they can help equip me as well. And where does it lead? 
if we have these gifts working and helping and serving and equipping, that Ephesians goes on. For the ministry of the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Earlier he said we're all one, we're united. He told us what that looks like. Here he notes, you know, in life, in daily life, we're not all there yet. We still struggle with some of this unity stuff. We still struggle with some of that humility and other things that were mentioned earlier. But guess what? As we use our gifts, as we work together, as we equip one another, that's where we're going to get to build each other up and come to maturity in that. Come to become a mature man. Notice it doesn't say a whole bunch of mature people, but together we're going to become mature as this church of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro in the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine that engulfs that in craftiness and deceitful schemes. Again, what's the result of all of us using our gifts well amongst each other? We grow up. We become mature as a body. And as we become mature, we don't get tossed around. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, things that have the label Christian out there. How are we going to know what is the true foundational stuff? Certainly the word of God. But how do we, how do we interpret that? What do we do with all these things? Well, as we together serve and care for and teach and embrace one another, we together are going to become strong so that those waves don't toss us about like they toss so many. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We grow into Christ together as a church by doing what? Speaking the truth, but doing it in love. It's ironic because we hadn't coordinated all that, but when I got sick, Pastor Taylor ended up preaching from the next chapter in Corinthians on why we need love and why the gifts are pointless if we don't have love. <laughs> um, but if we do, if we speak the truth and speak it in love, that's where we get to build each other up into the head, into Christ. Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body get built up in love? How does it grow into the head? It says each part has to be working properly. Each part working properly. That's the call at the end of Ephesians. I think that's the call to us. How does this apply to you, to me, I think it applies in two ways as we read these passages. The first, it applies to how we think and how we view the world, right? How we view ourselves. How do you view yourself? Are you one who was created by God and has the image of God stamped in you? Are you one who, yes, was a sinner, but has been saved and therefore has been united to Christ? And has the image of Christ growing in you? Has his righteousness? Do you see yourself? Do you understand yourself as one the Holy Spirit has come 
to live within. And as part of that has given you a part to play in the church. It's given you some gifts. Maybe, maybe some of you know what they are. You just don't know where to plug in. Some of you may say, well, I don't even know what my ministry would be. Well, my encouragement to you would be, pray about that. Think about that. Talk to people about that. Help discover what your giftedness, your call, the ministries that you can plug into really are. Because we as a church need that. The church won't function correctly if all the parts aren't there. First Corinthians will actually paint a picture in the middle of the chapter of the body. They'll use language of, you know, hands and feet and joints and stuff, and it will say that the body needs all of its parts, right? If I don't have some of the parts, I don't function the way I'm su- supposed to function. And it needs the parts that, you know, everybody sees, but it also needs those inside parts. My body doesn't work very well without all the inside parts, too, that you don't see much, or that don't get much credit. We need them all. We need the behind-the-scenes people. Maybe nobody knows what you do for the church. That's all right, but keep doing it and keep equipping others to do it as well. That Those parts are just as important as the other parts. And we each need to function in our own way, right? If I try to walk on my hands right now instead of my feet, um, it's going to be quite embarrassing for all of us because I, I can't even do a handstand, let alone walk on them, right? That's, what my, that's not what my hands are for. That's what my feet are for. Each of us needs to do our part. That can also be encouraging, right? If I'm a hand, I actually shouldn't try to be a foot. I should look for somebody else to do that. God has not called any one of us to do everything. He's called us to be the hand or to be the eye or to be the foot. And he's called us to connect to the leg that's somewhere else, to connect to the trunk that's somewhere else in the body, and to connect with those people that are the insides and with the hands, and as it work, as we all connect, then the whole body functions as it should. And we all together become more mature and grow up into Christ. So, first of all, we just need to change our thinking, right? Remind yourself in the morning as you wake up. I'm a child of God. I have the image of God in me. I have the image of Christ in me. Today I have the Holy Spirit. Whether I feel like it or not, he indwells me. Where can I serve? Where can I plug in? God, where are you empowering me to do the unique thing that is me, that is nobody else, in this body? Where I get frustrated because me trying to do me isn't quite working well. It needs some other things. Well, then go find the other person in the body that can help you, that can partner with you. If you don't know how to do that, don't know where that is, that's that's part of what the pastors and elders are here for, right? Come talk to us. We'd love to find out what your vision is, where you think God is calling you, and how we can come alongside and pair you up with other people that you need. Nobody's called to do it alone. We're called to do it together. That would be my challenge for everyone. And that's whatever age you are, right? If you're a teenager who's come to Christ, you have the Spirit in you. You have ways you can serve. The youth serve the body as a whole. You know, I need some of that energy and excitement and vision that the younger folks have. Are you a young adult? Are you an older adult? Life has changed for you. You're not able to do what you used to do 20 years ago. Guess what? The Spirit still is in you. He still wants to enable you to serve. 
in some way. Maybe it's you have to serve from your home. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe it's in a phone call or a card of encouragement to others. Your gift was encouragement. You always used to come to church and encourage. Well, maybe you can encourage from afar. I don't know what it is for each one of you, but I'd encourage you. First, we get our thinking straight, and then we get our living straight. We start figuring out how to use our gifts, experimenting, trying things. Try something new that you haven't done that you think you might be good at, and see if you are. See if God enables it. See what he empowers. Parents, help your children discover who they are and how they fit into the body. Everyone that knows Christ has the Spirit and has been given graciously. From the Christ that ascended on the top of that mountain, that ascended to the right hand of God, he has graciously gone to each person and said, here's the gifts you need. And he's graciously assembled this particular local body with the gifts we need to do what we need to do in this community. Um, so I'd encourage us, make this even a week of asking those questions. How am I gifted? What's God calling me to? How can I step up and serve in different ways? How can I encourage others? Either bringing them with me or going with them. Um, but let's together grow up into Christ, who is the head. Amen.